Oh, hello there, everybody. Surprised to see us? Well, guess what? The Mando Fan Show is back, baby! Welcome to the Mando Fan Show, episode 10. Didn't think we'd be back, but they decided to spring a documentary on us that they're stretching out very neatly in eight episodes. Um, So, I'm John. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are new to the Mando Fan Show, welcome. Uh, if you're new to what we do over here on Star Wars Newsnet and the Resistance Broadcast, welcome again. Uh, with me, as always, is James Bainey and Lacey Gillerin. Uh, as much as they can on the Mando Fan Show anyway, but we uh, have a pretty good track record of attendance here. Um, guys, uh, we are going to be covering the first two episodes of the Disney Gallery uh, Mandalorian documentary. So that's going to be... The first episode, Directing, and the second episode, Legacy. And what we're going to kind of do here is just cut it in half. So we're going to go through a chronological journey. We're going to spend time talking about the first episode, Directing, where we're going to go around, give our favorite parts or standout part from that episode, then have a discussion on that, and then shift right into episode two, Legacy, doing the same exact thing, and then we'll uh, wrap it up and get on out of here. Um, so guys, just first thoughts. Uh, having seen this documentary, are you... Uh, a making of documentary fan in general, and what's your take on this one in comparison to maybe other Star Wars documentaries or other making of documentaries? Uh, we'll start with you, James. Actually, I I like this stuff a lot, like one time through, and I will hardly ever go back to it. Okay, but I feel like Lacey has a different answer, <laughs> and so therefore I'd like to pass to her. But yeah, I will. I will get excited about this i will turn it on and i will watch it through and i will go i will go man there's so much stuff that that is in the background i want to freeze frame this i want to look at it and and overview it a million times Mm -hmm. and then i'll watch it and be like i don't you know it was it was really good i liked it (laughs) and uh i don't know i don't want to go back and revisit it as much as i want to go back and revisit the story stuff so yeah okay Lacey, as James said, um, we kind of know you're a junkie on this like myself, so probably a little bit of a different tune coming from you on this. Yeah, I love these. I actually would, I kind of like them better than The Mandalorian. Yeah, so I, what did you say off before we recorded? You made like a comparison on how you retain info. Oh, yeah. So um, when I watch a TV show and we do these review shows, I have to take like so many notes. Like you guys saw when I talked about it, how it's kind of like live tweeting on a piece of paper. Like I would write down every single thing that happened so I would remember everything. With these shows, I tend to just, I don't know, zone out and I pay attention more. Like I don't have to like force my brain to remember things. I just, I like, I like video production. I like film production and I like this kind of storytelling behind the scenes kind of i think it's more obviously it's about the industry itself which i find interesting which is what i went to school for but it's also just like why people do and make the choices that they make and where they come from and you get a better understanding of people as people through these projects yeah because you're like oh well this person's making this decision based on this and this person's own experience with star wars was this so that's why I connect with it more. Um, mm-hmm. So if I had to choose between rewatching Mandalorian and rewatching one of these episodes, I would rewatch one of these episodes. Nice. Like I already I'm... want to go back and watch it again, the second yeah. episode, and I've only seen it right before this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I slept through an alarm and got up and watched it, and then now we're doing this. Hey, you know what? We put a bounty out, and we found you, and we reeled you in, and here you are. It was like that nightmare when you wake up late for school, and you're like, you know what nightmare no. I have? I'll, I just can't be sure if she's cold or warm right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the nightmare I always have is that, and this has nothing to do with Mandalorian, but I'm going to say it anyway, that I I realize at the end of uh, a college semester that I was enrolled in a class that I completely forgot about. Oh, and I have like, that too. You forget schoolwork. And horrifying. then you forget showing up to the class. Then yeah. you're like, I must have failed out, but I can't drop out. It's too late. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's cr- and I know a lot of people have had that dream, so I kind of want yeah. to bring that what up. What nightmares are your nightmares? Leave them in the comments below. Yeah, it, 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 it unites us. It binds us, uh, <laughs> just like the Force. Um, all right, guys. So let's get into talking about the first chapter, which is called Directing. 
and it is kind of cadenced by this round table of John Favreau sitting with his directors in this black room. We don't know what this room is. It looks like it could be on a on a Death Star. But there they are with their glasses of water and you look around that table and you're like, wow, that that's the crew right there. They put this thing together. I want to start by each of us going around giving our biggest takeaway um, slash favorite moment, whichever you prefer on uh, this first episode. So um, Lacey, uh, the first episode directing, did you have one moment or, or, or sequence or something out of this that really is in bold print for you that you took away from that episode? So right off the bat, when you brought up this whole room and you're like, this room of all these directors, all I thought about was, yeah, with those panels, with the people with cameras on sliders yes. behind the panels and they're sliding the cameras. <laughs> I thought the same and thing, actually. And that's the yeah. first thing I noticed, actually, when they opened this scene. I was watching it with Matt and I was like, oh my God, do you see every panel has a camera behind it and it has it's on a slider and they're doing these panning shots. So at any given time, they have like five or six cameras running at once mm-hmm. and then they're cutting between mm-hmm. them. Like that's the stuff that Matt and I geek out about. And you're, it's just so funny because you're like... the the best directors are sitting at this table and I'm like, yeah, but all the cameras. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the takeaway for me was um, Deborah Chow talking about how she, she works and how she loves action. And it explains why she got the episodes that she got. And it, and that goes for any director that they, uh, that was speaking, um, why they chose them for their specific chapters. Um, But I just loved hearing from her and and how she works and um, just her background and what brought her into this and how she like worked on Mr. Robot. And um, that was my takeaway. I was was like, that's so cool because when I'm watching a show like this uh, and there's different directors, I kind of try to pick up what their style is. And hers very early on, I was like, oh, I love it because she lets the action kind of lead where she's moving the camera and how she sets up a scene. And then for yeah. her to validate that and say that, I was like, I am not an idiot. I actually <laughs> am paying attention. So that nice. was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I liked how kind of, you know, because sometimes we get so deep in Star Wars uh, as diehard fans in terms of its complexities and even how it's made and stuff. And I like how she has the personal confidence in her abilities and how she showcases herself where she can say something so on the surface like i really liked killing stormtroopers <laughs> yeah she I did love and she that. kept she said i want more and john favreau was like i'll give you more you want more i'll give you more right it makes me think that scene in a new hope when in the special edition where george just littered that room with stormtroopers digital stormtroopers yeah that's yeah. no, probably her dream come true um just throw a bowling ball and knock them all down um but uh james um the first episode uh directing what was your favorite part did you have a takeaway or maybe you didn't but uh what do you got um i think my takeaway was the the story of dave filoni and him meeting george lucas oh yeah um i think they they spent a lot of time telling that story because i think at no point they were like okay we'll we'll cut this down and then they're like no we still got to keep showing this part (laughs) now this is good we still got to keep showing this part and it just kept going and kept going. And, uh, yeah, because it moves past the call, and then it moves into his actual interview. And it's like, oh, we'll do the interview, too. That That's great. And uh, it just turned out to be a really good story. Um, that was definitely my takeaway. The thing that I'll probably remember from that first episode was that particular story. But my favorite part, really quick, is just uh, anytime Taika was, was saying something that wasn't true. <laughs> And was so clearly not true. He hates like, Bryce uh, Dallas Howard. The intro to his segment. Yeah. yeah. Not a, he not says a fan. that the uh that the whole production is uh, amateur at best. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the Dave Filoni thing that the thing I kept getting stuck on is he'd be like, I kept thinking, these are the SpongeBob guys. The SpongeBob guys are messing yeah. with me. And I was like, that is such a SpongeBob oh, right. crew yeah. thing to do because those guys are just known for like their weird sense of humor. So like for him to be like, they're pranking me, it's a SpongeBob guys i was laughing so hard because i was like yeah that's probably accurate yeah it's, it's... and i loved when he flipped on and and he realized this was real <laughs> on the call yeah because he goes right i i'm i'm so I, the, I'm guy. the guy i'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah right yeah it, it's funny because that that type of um situation seems to happen a lot with people where they get that phone call and they think they're being pranked because they can't believe that mm-hmm. they're getting it mm-hmm. and it's funny because in 99 out of 100, 
situations, it is the prank call. Uh, but for Dave Filoni, it really was George Lucas on the other end of the line. And that's just uh, unbelievable. But um, now I was going to go the Filoni route with my uh, route with my takeaway. But um, one walking out of that episode, I think what surprised me the most, and I guess sometimes surprises on these types of things are takeaways for me because there are some predictability in these things so far. Uh, I'll, I'll say that not to um, slam it or anything, but some things like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a promotional um, piece, so they want to tie sure. it to a more specific message, yeah. The the directors being on set together more than I anticipated, where I kind of vacuumed it, where I was like, mm-hmm. all right, now these weeks this person's going to be there, then this person, then this person. They were together mm-hmm. a lot collaborating, and not just one or two of them, like several of them on set looking at dailies doing working together and i think that even though this show is very um serialized and this episode does this and this episode he does this i find that very um encouraging because i i I kept i've kept saying that this show feels like a real team effort and everyone really seems to love what they're doing on this and that really comes through on this documentary and I think it had they not worked together and and you know helped each other out and that sort of thing you wouldn't have seen um the friendships in that round table it would have kind of been like oh hi how are you hi how are right, you hi right. oh you did yeah. that that's cool so um I don't know I really enjoyed that a lot and when it comes to making uh, Star Wars movies and 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 shows um seeing that whole that collaboration and that really just surprised me that a lot of them were on set for a big chunk of the time not just their episodes so um so let's just get into it overall uh, a discussion on this first episode james you know you said it they you know i love bookends they start this thing with filoni and they wrap it up with filoni and they give him the most time out of anybody so I kind of want to dance through each director's sequence. So let's start with Dave Filoni out of the gate. You already touched on uh, the meeting with George Lucas. Um, he talks about having Favreau as a mentor too, which stood out to mm-hmm. me because you could have replaced the word Favreau with Lucas. Um, but I find that interesting because uh, in the next episode, which I won't, I don't want to get into too much now, you, I almost had this feeling that Favreau looked at Filoni is a little bit of a mentor too, but uh, any uh, anything out of the Dave Filoni first segment that uh, you guys want to touch on? Go ahead. I think he really loves Star Wars, and I don't think we ever didn't like didn't think that. But as I've been watching this and uh, interviews with him outside of this, and then into Episode Two, like he lives and breathes Star Wars, and I think the one shot that makes me laugh thinking about it now is the part with John Favreau where he's like oh yeah this is cool like apocalypse now and he's like yeah it's like empire strikes back with this moment and Favreau's like I don't what are you talking about like he just gets he it he called it a deep cut yeah <laughs> yeah he's yeah. like I don't I don't know and you can see Floney being like uh oh <laughs> when you're so nerding out about something and the other person's like totally yeah my whole life. <laughs> yeah. If you if you refer back to shot thirty five with the painting sequence and the, and it's like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, it just seems I loved so. It. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, James. Uh, I know you already brought up the story he told about um, his first encounter with George Lucas and stuff like that. Anything else about the first batch of uh, Filoni in this episode? Well, it's weird because I I watched this episode when it came out, right? And then since then, there was this other interview that, uh, I don't know if it was since then, but, you know, it was around the same time. I watched uh, that interview with uh, Dave Filoni and George Lucas together, and he was talking about his mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and how that whole, got, that whole thing got started when he was coming into the Clone Wars. And he kind of recaps that a little bit here, but I felt like, I have always kind of seen Filoni as the animation guy and this really humanized him as someone who is like, well, I started here then for a long while I did animation Mm -hmm. and I feel like I've got that down and he's a person who wants to grow his career. And he, it's not like he 
has this dream of being the next George Lucas or anything like that. But where does a person go when they kind of master their craft and they just they need to keep growing in an artistic way? Right. This is just that opportunity. And I think he refers to it as such when he says it's just the next step of my learning or the next step of, right. um, you know, understanding this entertainment world and how to, to craft a story. And I'm like, oh, you know, that I don't know. It just it kind of put him in is more of a, a real person. Like how would a person further their career, right. like take star Wars out of it. They're like, Hey, I've been doing animation for years and I feel like I've got it. I want to move forward. And I want to do other things. And you know what? When he sees John Favreau roll up in a Maserati on set, he's probably like, I want that. <laughs> Not even that, John, I think you said it perfectly a couple episodes ago on resistance broadcast. When you said that it just seems like, Filoni's positioning himself to do a, a feature film and I think you're totally right and I think these are showing that mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'm sure it's not on purpose but it kind of feels like hey here's Filoni here's why he's great for a feature film oh that's not by mistake I think yeah. um and uh, the second episode sold me on that too yes um, yeah. but let's let's bop around here because we are covering both episodes so I want to go to Deborah Chow and my first thing on this is uh, Favreau being impressed with uh, that she has a set plan in place and she's a very prepared type of director. Mm -hmm. And um, just feeling like, you know, having watched Mandalorian and her two chapters, I felt uh, confident that she's going to be handling Kenobi, but this just enhanced that for me. Did you guys get that feeling? Um, uh, James, I'll start with you on Chow. Um, I, you know, it's kind of funny because if you told me any of the directors other than Taika, cause he kind of has this really strong career, but if you told me any of the directors were doing, um, all of Kenobi, I'd have been like, okay. But after watching the Mandalorian, then I looked at every one of the episodes and I think that Deborah Chow had the strongest episodes. Like both of them were strong. Whereas everybody either had one episode or one of the episodes was kind of weak, right? I think she, both of us were strong. Mm-hmm. So um, watching this now and hearing what you were saying about Filoni, or I'm sorry, Favreau coming in and saying, you know, normally we'll do this much work and that's when you feel on and that's when you feel prepared. I, I wasn't expecting you to come in and do like even more than that. You know, you were very well-versed um, while still uh, talking about how she had kind of had these humble beginnings of just working on this right. show and then kind of moving up and moving up and moving up and got bigger and better. Uh, she's just growing as well. So I, yeah, I do agree. I think that she's probably, you know, a very good choice to handle, you know, all of the, uh, all of Kenobi. And I really like seeing her in this light, this behind the scenes and, candid kind of light. And that like, it's getting that job you want and showing up with the full portfolio and the presentation yeah. and everything. Like she's showing, like I wanted, I want you guys to know how much I want to be here. And I think that really came through with John Favreau. I mean, if you're impressing John Favreau, you're doing it right. Um, Lacey, you had touched <laughs> on Deborah Chow's your takeaway, um, and you, you, you know, you loved her process and stuff. Anything else you want to add to that section they covered on her here? No, uh, I think we can she- move on. I've said enough about Deborah Chow. (laughs) Enough on Deborah Chow. (laughs) I feel like we've talked through Deborah Chow. So, Lacey, why don't you take us um, into uh, Rick Famuyiwa, who I was not familiar with him um, heading into The Mandalorian. And he did chapters two and chapter six. So the chapter where Mando had to um, stave off the Jawas. And then the the, uh, the uh, heist or whatever you want to call it in in chapter six with Bill Burr. so did did Rick Famuyiwa change um, your thoughts to him or or give you a new perspective on him having seen him interviewed in this or anything um, you could take away from his segment in this episode? So watching his episodes, uh, I thought that six was a stronger episode than two story wise, but they both were beautifully shot. So like he has a definite like eye for this type of stuff which would you would assume because he got chosen to be director but right um the takeaway for him because like you john i didn't really know much about him was just that he loves star wars like and i know that 
all of them say that they really love it. But I think more than anybody else, maybe only Dave is a little bit higher than Rick. Rick came across in these interviews like he loves it. It is why he got into this. He's always dreamed of working on Star Wars and, you know, being on set and getting to take on the story and make it his own and um, have those diverse voices like his own meant a lot to him and that was really cool um and then he just like really geeked out about the tech and the costumes and stuff which is super fun right um he was all about the technology and like pushing boundaries um but yeah no it was just like kind of infectious his energy of just like i love star wars it's so great i can't believe i'm here type right yeah yeah it's funny because remember when clayton was on and he was talking about how his buddy who worked with ilm couldn't differentiate between real objects and the volume yeah mm-hmm. when they would turn it on mm-hmm. and then you got rick here saying he was standing right up against it and he couldn't tell if the sand crawler was there or if it was uh yeah so i didn't realize they were doing on the volume like different shots in the sense of like i knew they were doing different backgrounds i mm-hmm. didn't know they were also doing different angles and that's how they were angling the camera so they had like an yeah. upward shot perspective of the sand crawler so yeah. they could shoot upwards into the volume and i was like i didn't even think about that like that they would do that because you just think kind of two-dimensionally you're like oh yeah. well, it's got to be mm-hmm. up and down right no they used this thing in all different ways and it's just it's crazy to me yeah james rick famuyiwa um you are famous for being able to pronounce his name dead on every time you talk about him uh what 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 do you think about this guy i love rick famuyama uh no i'm just kidding uh no i i think besides taika he was the only director that i'd seen one of his feature films uh so i think beyond most star wars fans i actually came in knowing and being familiar with him in the first place um which is which was kind of lucky on my part um now his I, I'll echo what Lacey said. I think six was like one of my favorite episodes of the season, and two was probably my least favorite episode of the season. So he had a very uh, contrasted uh, deliverance of episodes for me personally, um, and I think part of where that fell was because um, Dave Filoni had a similar thing, right? I really liked his episode one, not as big a fan as episode five, right? So coming off of Dave Filoni's better episode. And then dropping to Rick's lesser episode, in my opinion, I was like, oh, man, two really suffered. And sometimes it's weird because I actually watched a show recently where um, some people were rating ice cream. and They were trying to do it very quickly, like right off the cuff. What do I think of this ice cream? I give it a a five, you know, or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they went back and revisited the ice cream and they're like, I don't know why I said in the moment it was a five. It's actually a lot better than that. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes these Mandalorian episodes were kind of similar. Um, go back and rewatch two. Just just pretend that the rest of the story doesn't exist, you know? Just watch this one episode and it's it's great, you know? Yeah. It's it's so entertaining um just on its standalone self. And then start to remember that it falls into the, uh, the there's a beginning and an end outside of it. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, it definitely it's kind of one of those things when we're when we're binging the show. Um, I think he gets a little bit of a harder time, but uh, but still an, an amazing episode that is just part of a larger story. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, again, we forget that that's the time you really see. Um, baby Yoda doing something and it's doing something to protect Mando. Um, so he, mm-hmm. he's officially saying like, this is my, this is my guy here. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, the, a theme that I'm gathering, <clears throat> excuse me, with this documentary is you have a lot of these people working on this stuff that were like around 10 years old when Star Wars came out and you have Rick, um, I think he said he was seven or whatever, said Star Wars was the first movie he saw in the theater. And he said that really changed everything for him. Uh, he probably never saw movies the same again. And he said Star Wars drives everything he does creatively. So, I mean, not just from a fan, this has to be blowing his mind that he's working on it. But also kind of like what Yoshi was telling us. Yoshi Vu was on the Resistance broadcast with us um, a couple Thursdays ago. And he kind of said, like, as a diehard fan, you want to make sure you get it right because you are also that fan saying, like, no, nah, that's not that's not how that looks or that's not how that should be like Rick probably gets it. And he's like, that sand crawler. Like that's the one I remember when I watched right. Tatooine mm-hmm. in 1977. Yeah. So that stuff I, I love. Like we always say, we love seeing people love doing it. And he's, 
he's right in there. So um, excited uh, to see what he can do going forward. So let's head to uh, the the rookie on the block, which was Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, I thought this was very one of the more interesting parts of this documentary because of um, stuff Favreau had said. Uh, James uh, Bryce Dallas Howard in uh, this episode. Um, what's uh, what's your takeaway from that? Um, I think I know what you're referring to, so I'll let you talk about that. But I would say, like, it, it's kind of interesting because it's not even really so much her as a director. I guess it kind of leads into that. But I. I'm really fascinated sometimes with people who are the children of already already existing celebrities. I think that stuff is so crazy. There was a, a a wonders reunion the other day and Tom Hanks was not on it, but Colin Hanks was on it and he was telling all the stories of when he was on the set just as the son of the actor, you know? And it's like, it's such a fascinating perspective. And in this case, Bryce Dallas Howard is talking about, you know, uh, a time when she went on a business trip with her dad and it was Ron Howard and George Lucas and they were meeting with um, Kurosawa, you know, and it's just like she it's like who wouldn't want to be in that room? And she's like, I think I fell asleep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. It's yeah. because yeah. It, it, it's weird. It's like this contrast of like what a what a crazy world you grow up in, but don't forget you're still a kid. And this is just, it's just your dad. It's not Ron Howard. It's your dad. You know, this is your dad's business friends. You know, it's what a boring meeting. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. It does some, it does so much for me to think like, you know, who, who was, who was my dad friends with and what interesting lives and what businesses did they work in? I'm sure they're like the textile King of Indiana or something. You know, it's just it's crazy to to think about those different contrasts as people and as celebrities. So I don't know. I got yeah. a, I got a big takeaway out of that just alone in one of her stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and she's saying like she almost like learned through osmosis as she was napping in that room or whatever. Uh, yeah. But um, so Lacey, Gina Carano pops in now and again on this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. They they go to her to like give the actors perspective on the directors, I guess. And she kind of really um, went into Bryce Dallas Howard, especially being her first. And I kind of felt this connection that you have Gina Carano, who has been acting, but she's kind of new and needed support from Favreau to like say, like, yes, you can do this. You're not just an MMA fighter. And parallel that to Bryce Dallas Howard as a new director. Um, so what, what, what's your what's your takeaway from Bryce Dallas Howard uh, on their coverage of her in this first episode? And did you learn anything knew about her did you know her outside of being an actor in like jurassic world like i didn't know too much about her i found it interesting she brought up jurassic park because i was like yeah right jurassic Mm -hmm. world wasn't that great (laughs) (laughs) um she's super charming obviously um she started to get choked up a little bit which i feel for because i find that when i talk about this stuff i tend to get a little emotional too because it just means so much to so many people but um the thing that stood out to me is how she connects with the actors. And I think that's from her own experience of being an actor and working on so many films that she gets what it's like to be like in front of the camera so that she can then translate it from behind the camera. And I mean, she's the one that added the sipping baby Yoda meme that everybody goes crazy for. Like that was her thing. Um, And the way they talked about how she just adds these kind of emotional beats to the episode um, which explains once again why Favreau gave her the episode that she got um, right. because it was very emotional and very like a lot of two shots and people kind of interacting with each other and that's where he thinks she shines and I have to agree like she really gets that interacting between the actors like there was the one shot where she's showing uh, I don't know who's in the Mandalorian suit so whoever's in the Mandalorian suit and uh gina carano like how they should like be behind the door with the gun and then kind of go in together like she was Mm -hmm. marking it for them and showing them how she wanted it done um and i can only imagine that that means a lot to an actor because sometimes i'm sure you'll get a director that's like just do it and you don't know what they want whereas she was like okay let me show you what i'm looking for and let me know what you think and she was all about the collaboration which is cool because as we know from the original star wars those films were 
made because of collaboration because you had all these people that were kind of getting involved because they wanted to all work towards a goal and right. i think she was all about that and learning which is cool yeah that's a good point you know she does come from the actor's perspective but also like james said growing up in a house where your dad's ron howard um <laughs> makes a lot to happen <laughs> I'm sure he took her through uh, crash courses over the years and like, uh, you know, like you say, she's probably been on sets seeing him operate and, mm -hmm. and things like that. But um, yeah, it's a good point to, to to highlight that she's, you know, she has the actor's point of view and the, the director's point of view. Because yeah. when I when I was uh, watching that, Lacey, you specifically mentioned that scene where she's outside of the tent. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know this might be a little bit weird, but like I've done a little bit of like directing myself. Um, when I was in the band, we, I, I did some shot, some things for our like zombie record that we did. And so I was shooting some zombie style stuff because I, I didn't want people to think it was Shaun of the Dead zombie. I wanted to like build the world before we released the album. Mm -hmm. So I was shooting these like cinematic trailers to kind of put people in the mindset of what that record was going to be. And when I saw that clip, I was immediately pulled back to like me standing outside of a barn. And I'm like, then you're going to like, you know, move in like this and then he's going to point the gun out. And uh, and it was crazy because how many other scenes do we see these directors directing the actors? But that scene in particular immediately pulled me back to like. I feel like I've I've I feel like I remember standing right there right. telling these two people how they were going to enter that room. It was crazy. It really pulled me in and I I think that maybe is because she was trying to relate to the actor's perspective mm -hmm. and like, you know, I would love it if a director really filled me in on exactly, you know, how they wanted to ha have this happen and not worry about some of the other stuff that's going on. She's yeah. and maybe she's going to be a very successful actor's director coming from the business at that perspective in the first place. That's completely fair. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, Favreau kind of having the trust to, and Lacey, you touched on this a bit from a different angle, but giving her this episode because she hadn't done it before. And he's like, if I give her the hardest one, she has nothing to measure it up against. Sure. So it'd be easier for her to handle this. Like because episode it's not three where all these people are coming in and there's fight scenes and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. he, he felt that this was a very challenging chapter. And he's like, if I give this to Bryce, she can't be like, well, this is way harder than when I directed that thing. It's just, oh, this is directing, I guess. And it, it paid off. It was a gamble and it paid off. And that's why John Favreau is just the king because he just has this <laughs> he intuition. He just gets where, people. I yeah. feel like he under, he connects with people really well and he yeah. can kind of diagnose like who you are as a person. It seems like, like if you were to meet him, you'd mm -hmm. be, he'd be like 20 minutes in. He'd be like, ah, yes, you're this because of this. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, which takes us to, uh, Taika Waititi, uh, as the last director they feature here. Um, and, you got to wonder, like, did they put Taika last just because he had the last chapter? Or they put him last because they're like, wow, we know he's going to be doing the next Star Wars movie. So we got to like really hammer right. on Taika <laughs> here. Um, James, I'll start with you because you seem to really love uh, <laughs> his his bashing of Star Wars at the beginning of his uh, segment mm -hmm. on this uh, on this um, episode. The B-roll they used with that, too, where he's like got the glasses on and he's like yeah. creeping <laughs> in the background as he's saying yeah. these things. Oh, it was perfectly <laughs> synced up. <laughs> um james what uh what are your thoughts on taika here so yeah it starts off with all those jokes and things and then it shows like you said the the b-roll and i'm just like is this guy constantly on like no matter what they're like taika we need your opinion on this and he's like hmm 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 you know like just <laughs> he never never doesn't do like his bit um, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is going to be an entertaining section because he's just going to make me laugh the whole time. And then like, there's, there's one sentence and you're like, wait a minute, that was a real sentiment, <laughs> you know? <Yes. laughs> and all of a sudden he like flips the switch and everything he says from that point on, you're like, dang, you're smart, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get it, you understand it. And, uh, it's funny because I felt like he was um, one of the few directors that um, I don't know was like I, I don't I don't want to say they're the same, but like it felt like he was the one director that was kind of on a peer level with Favreau, like in the sense of like everybody was like, man, it was it was so great to come into this and Favreau, you really helped guide me through it. Uh, it was more like 
Favreau was interested in hearing his perspective because he wanted to like learn from him too. They were kind of on the same level. And uh, I don't know, it was just uh, an interesting uh, segment when it got to him specifically. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped that, you know, that episode came out the same day they announced it. So it's like, I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but yeah. I'm I'm really pumped for him and his um, ability to handle the fans. I think because oh, no yeah. matter what, no, nothing's gonna <laughs> he get to care. him. Right. He. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Johnson doesn't care either. But like, it's almost like you can kind of see through his eyes, and you're like, I think you care a little bit. <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. I really just don't think I think Tyka's like. Whatever, it's like not you know? even in He's, his brain. Like it doesn't right. even register. He's just yeah. like, what? yeah, he's like, how can I make a joke that makes fun of the people who are making fun of me almost in a way that makes those people go, all right, that was funny. I still hate you, but yeah. that was pretty funny. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the, they, they do show him setting up the shot of baby Yoda getting beaten up. Lacey, uh, did that, uh, trigger anything for you in terms of protecting <laughs> your sweet little green boy? What a weird question. <laughs> no, <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, no, the thing that stuck out to me for Taika was, uh, oh my God, that's like put me in a weird mood now, um, <laughs> was when he was talking about production and, mm-hmm. and his journey of, I know about composition because I used to be a painter and then I realized the painting world kind of sucks. So then I mm. went into music and then I realized the music world kind of sucks. And then I figured out that the movie world was like a combination of all these things and I could be creative yeah. and, and write and produce. And it kind of forced his hand to learn these things. So he has a lot more experience in the sense of all different aspects of movie f- filmmaking than a lot of those people at the table, I right. think, because he kind of did all these different things. But the one part that still s- sticks out to me is um, the part where he said that he was making his TV show and they needed props and stuff. So he was like, well, we don't have the budget for this. Let's just go ask these people what's in their trash. And so he was like, what stuff do you have left over that you didn't want to use for Lord of the Rings? Like, what kind of yeah, stuff can we right. just use? Um, and I loved that he's friends with the guy from Flight of the Concords, Jermaine. Yeah. Like, yeah. that made me laugh because they have a very similar sense of humor. So it totally clicks that that's yeah. why he is the way he is. Um, well, they're both from New Zealand. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like there's humor. I, well, might sure, be, but, uh, yeah, um, but I think that's that's kind of like uh, there's a specific. I have a friend who's from New Zealand and did acting in New Zealand, oh, yeah? and we, it was involved in some bigger movies and stuff. And uh, he is like v- very aware of everybody in the industry <laughs> that is also a Kiwi, oh, you know, yeah. Kiwi actor. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a specific click of people. And that's, that's when I see that picture together, I go, I know, I know why these two get along on the surface. And then I understand how they get along because yeah. of their sense of humor from. and their, their yeah. work pr- production and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just wanted to point that out. But yeah. So the idea that he was like, yeah, we took old elf ears. Like we took old stuff out yeah, of the trash. Right. I was like, that's so funny and I, it just reminds me of like college and stuff where you're trying to figure things out when you're making a stupid student film and you're like what can we use because we have no money or what can we use mm-hmm. that will make sense that we could just get for free <laughs> it just it made me laugh yeah i i took that and it made me think like now that he's in a situation where he has every resource he needs at sure. his beck and call he can still apply that creative solution mentality to things, um, which I think brings a lot of charm into creating uh, Star Wars, especially because really the original trilogy did a lot of bootlegging in terms of how they put things together. And um, I think he could really capture that type of feeling, even though they have this volume and everything they can possibly imagine at their, at their um, expense. Absolutely. And you know, him, saying that quote that now everybody's kind of really um, attaching themselves to is him saying that the Mandalorian, which I think he's speaking about Star Wars in general, uh, doesn't take itself 100% seriously, but it does believe in itself. And uh, again, that's just one of those things where you you feel like he gets Star Wars uh, because Star Wars is never meant to be taken 100% seriously, but it's saying like, I'm I'm legit though. I'm good, you know, I'm good storytelling and and you want to watch this. So, um you know, you guys said it all. I'm excited about Taika and the future of him. And as you said, James, 
it came on the cusp of him being announced as the next Star Wars movie director, and it couldn't have come at a better time for anyone who may have had doubts about that. Um, mm-hmm. And then they round this episode out with Filoni once again, and he calls this his Star Wars education in live action. Uh, I felt like this really humbled Dave Filoni in my eyes, uh, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, um, but I just kind of felt like he was, you know, the the coach's son always in my eyes, and he would be the pitcher and, and leading off and, and, and whatever. And this made me feel like he still was very humble in his journey in Star Wars. So um, uh, that was my final takeaway on that. Any final thoughts on this episode uh, and how they close it out with Dave Filoni? Lacey, I'll I'll start with you here. First of all, can you hear the guy mowing his lawn? No. No. Okay, good. I'll cut that out. But I was like, I just like had a a nervous breakdown. I was like, oh my God. Of course, a Friday, my neighbor decides to mow his lawn. Look, we're in quarantine. <laughs> my son's crying a little bit. They get it. All right. All it's right. okay. I just like yeah. got really nervous. I was yeah. like, of course, right now at 844, my neighbor's like, ah, yes, let me mow my lawn right now. <laughs> um, sorry. What was your question? Uh, just your wrap final up. takeaway on this episode uh, for the first episode to wrap it up as they ended with Dave Filoni. Yeah. Dave Filoni gets star wars and i'm gonna be honest going into this i'm not the biggest clone wars fan i'm not the biggest rebels fan so i wouldn't say that i'm the biggest dave filoni fan only because i don't know much about him i know kind of baseline like who he is what he's done but i think james you said it perfectly earlier is like as these interviews are coming out with him and george and him talking to the press about clone wars and then this show in particular I'm learning more and more about Dave Filoni and his storytelling abilities and his love for Star Wars that it makes me pretty confident that he's trying to make that next jump, like you said, James, to something more, to to doing a film. Um, and yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I have to say it again, my biggest takeaway still is like the SpongeBob guys thing. It made me laugh so hard. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he thought that he was being prank called. Yeah, but as we um, go into episode two, we'll talk about it even more. Uh, right. I texted these guys during episode two and was like, holy crap, Dave Filoni. Like, he yeah. just, he is the guy right now. Um, James, uh, final thoughts on the first episode. Um, I mean, I think just to wrap up the 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 <laughs> legacy, no pun intended, of this episode. I know that's the next, the next one, but... Um, I, I, I think there's something really interesting that captures the, all of them sitting around the table, you know what I mean? And I, I just, I, I love anytime when you can get very specific, important people that either do have something in common or absolutely don't have something in common. It doesn't even matter. Just, I want to hear these two people bounce back and forth. Um, it's very easy to, to, to think there's no way that this person whatever have a relation to this person and then you see them sitting at the same table and you go they do they know each other this is real life there they are they're sitting and they're they're having a conversation um and uh i think this episode sets the precedent for what we're going to see as we move on because it isn't just these directors but they're going to show us you know all these different people sitting in that round table and how oh, yeah. uh, interesting it is to watch them have that discussion yeah and you know Pedro Pascal is nowhere to be found in this uh, documentary, really. But he does pop in quickly to say we could never have done this show without Dave Filoni. And uh, I thought that was a, an interesting um, dunk in there for him being the star of the show. I guess he should show up once in a while in these things. Um, but um, yeah, so that puts a, a bow on that first episode. Let's move into the second, which was called Legacy. And this is... Um, more about um, kind of paying homage to the history of Star Wars, a lot of love for George Lucas and that sort of thing. Uh, we don't need to do a chronological walkthrough on this one. We can just kind of have a, a bit of a discussion since it's more of a uh, yeah. stew of love for Star Wars as opposed to uh, <laughs> let's talk about this person, this person, this person. So, um, Lacey, uh, you just watched this like literally yes. 30 minutes ago. So yeah. you're fresh out of the gate. Um, what do you got out of uh, the second episode? Uh, called Legacy. First, I loved this episode more than the first one. I think it's because, once again, going back to that personal connection with Star Wars, it always interests me what 
people how people got into star wars why they made the choices they did in their career and personally because of star wars and that's what this was all about was just like star wars love and like where it came from um on kind of a, a geeking out level they the way they go into how many patents george has like 126 and he created the editing droid which turned into avid um and then talking with John Knoll about how the majority of the Phantom Menace is miniatures, which I didn't know until this. Right. I knew that they had a lot, but I didn't know what was the movie with the most, um, which mm-hmm. was really cool. And just learning just how people love Star Wars. Like, so many people have changed their lives and become the people they are today because of this movie. And it just makes me wonder, like, how that impacts George. I'm sure he, like, loves it, but it's just so crazy that you hear these people talk about this one person who's impacted so many people. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it, I'm sure, but the biggest takeaway was Dave Filoni's whole story at the end, which, once again, he is, like, the shining moment in this. It should be, like, Gallery Dave Filoni because (laughs) this every episode is, like, so far, both episodes, they have this long extended piece with Dave Filoni, and that was when I texted you guys, like I said, like, holy crap, Dave Filoni, uh, because he goes on for, I want to say, like, six minutes. Like, they just left it going. Yeah, it was similar to the first episode. Yeah. Like, they just kept, it was like, this story, it's not that he's not good at telling a story or it keeps dragging on. Yeah. Yeah. It was just that, like, the story just kept developing, you know? And everyone was just in awe of him. Like, everyone was like, oh my gosh. And when he finished, everyone was like, oh. I felt like this one shot of Favreau, like, looking at him and he does one of these, like, Like, man, this guy really, I'm so glad we got this guy here. Um, Oh, I did connect with John Favreau on one thing, which I just did it just now, is when I get excited or happy about something, I tend to interrupt people. And John Favreau does the same thing like multiple (laughs) times. And I was just like, me and John Favreau are like, because he, Deborah Chow's like telling her story. He's like, yeah. And then you did this and you did this and he just gets excited. And, you know, in my life, I've kind of gotten the critique that I do it a lot, but it's only because I'm excited to talk to you that I do it. So if I interrupt you, take it as a compliment because I'm pumped to be having this conversation. Oh yes. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think Filoni's like it, when you have something that you're so passionate about and he's probably like going into telling that story where he's going to, I'm going to say like three or four sentences about this. And he's like, wait, I can't not say this, but then I can't not say this. Uh, I'm just connecting the whole six movies now. I have to do that. I have to tell you everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. I felt uh, like I was in a lecture hall hearing someone's thesis. I mean, so so why don't we then just the knock out the Filoni aspect of sure. it? Uh, James, um, you've you've been a huge fan for Dave Filoni for a long time since you uh, got kind of back into Star Wars and uh, a huge fan of the Clone Wars and whatever. So um, anything out of this and him kind of telling his thoughts on the um fable of star wars that uh was new to you from a dave perspective or or just touch on him in general out of this episode and your your overall thoughts um i mean filoni to me was kind of introduced as the guy who you know totally gets and understands and does the clone wars and stuff and I think he was kind of presented as because when I got really into Star Wars, like, you know, the, this into Star Wars, um, the Clone Wars were already done. So they already existed and the fans were already like all about them and they were already won over on Ahsoka. So the the ballad here of of Dave Filoni was that he had already understood and already saved Star Wars. There was no arc for me with him. Um just the longer I go, uh, you know, the longer his career is connected to Star Wars, it makes it more and more clear that he does understand. And this is just another one of those examples. Um, I think the thing for me with Dave Filoni in, in these first two episodes and even specifically here is, um, again, like the humanizing him, like it re- he his fandom shines more than regular. When we see him on a I panel, agree. I think I think 
everybody is like, oh, Dave, he's the man. And he's like, uh, you know, yeah. say what you will. Yeah. You know, it feels that way. Like he has this like thing and, and he doesn't really get to be a fan when he's presented in that light. And it's weird because on these particular episodes, it's like he the 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 crowd that he's surrounded in is not fans. It's not people looking up to him. They're just looking almost almost down to him, you know what I mean? He's he's one of these people that like really doesn't have a lot of um history in what all these other people are doing, you know what I mean? Like Dave Filoni to John Favreau, that's a that's a different relationship. So now they're I don't know. The vibe is different and he becomes a different person and his fandom Hmm. and his um, love shines more in these episodes than I think we're used to seeing Dave Filoni the past decade. That's, that's a really great point, James. And it had me thinking like, like you ever at work and you're like, one of us is like a diehard star Wars fan. And you talk to like your coworker who likes star Wars. I felt like Dave Filoni was us, and then everyone else in that room was the coworker who liked Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're like, so, you know, Qui Gon is the father figure, and the duel of the fates is over this boy yeah. in his future. And someone's like, dude, Darth Maul lightsaber, so that sick, thing bro. is sick. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, but, but you know, if he didn't die, maybe Anakin doesn't turn to the dark side. And they're like, and his horns on his head. Double-sided saber are sick for for (laughs) people like us. Like that's that's the kind of thing that like I'm I'm relating to Dave because I've said I've had that conversation. I've had all these conversations. Yeah, and I think for everybody else in that room, they're sitting there and they're going, (laughs) "You should have put Daisy in the room." She's like, "I never thought about it like that." (laughs) (laughs) There is a moment. I feel like everybody else is blown away by like how wow, man, I've thought about it pretty intently before. Right. You're on another level. There's yeah, a moment says, where the other the directors room? are just kind of sitting there and they're like, and you could yeah. see as his talk goes on and on and on, and he goes, oh, well, I'm in this. I keep on, I'm going to finish it. Like by yeah. the end, yeah. they're just awestruck. Like it starts yeah. off with, you're like, okay, he's talking a lot. He's talking a lot. Where is he going? Oh my God. And like, <laughs> you know, that, that brings me to my next point, which is kind of like you, you look around that room again and you see Deborah Chow and, um, She's going to be doing the Kenobi series mm-hmm. and you see Taika, he's going to be doing the next movie and they're all kind of listening to Dave Filoni tell the story of Star Wars and what it's all about. And like kind of like him saying without directly looking at them saying like, this is what George told me. You better make sure these stories <laughs> remain about hope and about family <laughs> and, and about this. Yeah. And he's like, but he's not doing that. He's just kind of saying what he feels sure. in his heart and knowing working with George. But, you know. This is called Disney Gallery, you know, the making of the Mandalorian or whatever you want to call it. And they and John Favreau is executive producer of this thing. And it's a Disney documentary on their Disney streaming service. And they are focusing on Dave Filoni heavily. So you got to think that the people at Disney like the guy. Uh, or else they maybe would have pushed him aside a little and pushed Favreau up. Uh, maybe put a more focus on someone else. They know Star Wars fans, diehard fans who are watching this stuff love the guy uh, because it's kind of one of those things like, I like Dave Filoni. Uh, he gets Star Wars, which means I get Star Wars. And I sure. get that. Sure. But seeing like this Disney product, because it does feel a little Disney to me. It does. This documentary. Uh, you can almost picture like Michael Eisner introing it and saying like, here's our documentary on Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> but their focus on Filoni makes me think that maybe they do really believe in this guy. And maybe this education of his Star Wars school for live action is their way of selling him to general fans. Like we may push this guy out there. If they get positive feedback on this documentary about this guy, that gives them a vote of confidence to say, you know what? Maybe he can have a bigger role in the future of the storytelling outside of animation here. So that was the um, biggest critique we had on resistance broadcast a lot with who would take over Lucasfilm next, who would be the next director. The critique yeah. we always kind of boiled down to was, well, nobody knows who Dave Filoni is, you know, like, right. yeah, diehard fans get it, but I don't think anybody else really knows over like a John Favreau. Um, I, 
I don't think he would, and I know you're not saying this. I yeah. don't think he'd be the person they'd put in the chair to be the president. Of Neither do I. And we've also said that he's more of a creative type. Yeah. Right. So I think mm-hmm. they may do a double-headed monster thing there. James, I see you sort of pondering on this a bit. So what are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Well, I just, I, I think you're kind of going that direction a little bit, which you just said, like, I... I still, even as much as I love him, I, I don't want him to direct a Star Wars film right now. Mm. Um, I just, I, I think as much as I agree with what you're saying, like they could potentially be grooming him and like the way they're editing this thing, they're kind of making it seem like, hey, you know, if you're kind of familiar with him, maybe get more familiar with him. Or if you don't know who he is, like he's kind of this person who is, you know, in the position that he's in because he understands this thing more than anybody. Um, but I still think if there's a if there's a spot for him in the future of Star Wars, it's somewhere that is in control of navigating the stories and, and telling people, you know, where to go. Like to me still, like he seems more of a story group person. And, yeah. and I don't even know if like if you put him in story group, story group might go, well, that's not really what we do. But what we imagine story group to be this this. A collection of people that are kind of navigating like no that's not star wars or yes this is the direction we need to go i feel like he needs to be there and not the person and i know it's kind of crazy because like the director is the top dog but it's weird because like i'm painting it in a light like the the director is one of the people hired to tell the stories that these people came up with you know yeah I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting to me, you know, it is. the, the spot that, um, he's in and what his future will hold. It's, um, it's untelling right now. Yeah. It, it's important because, you know, we keep saying this, he is the closest, um, connection to George Lucas. And that means a lot to a lot of fans. And I think Disney is fully aware of how important that is to them, uh, convincing fans that this is still Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we may see it and be like, that's Star Wars. And George Lucas had nothing to do with it. They understand legacy. Disney, more than anyone, understands legacy. And uh, they are well aware of what that means to people, especially with a brand mm-hmm. like Star Wars. So right. uh, Filoni is a very important asset for them. Um, and I, I'm not trying to look, you know, talk about that from you know a business perspective, but to them, it, it kind of is. Um, but... One thing, another thing I, t- I took away here, and I don't have too much else on this episode because um, I know we're going long on the Mando fan show here as it is, but a lot of these guys talking like the Hal Hickles and uh, John Knoll, who I think he's the one who pitched Rogue One, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. yep. They were t- around 10 years old when they first got into Star Wars, and now they they started working in the prequel era, right? And it makes me think like, like eight to 10 year olds today who got into star Wars because of Ray and the sequel trilogy and JJ Abrams and Ryan Johnson are going to be the people working on star Wars in 40 years when Dave Filoni's the old man passing the torch to somebody. Right. And it makes you think like if star Wars is going to be around that long, what they're doing right now is inspiring the next generation of the storytellers. And I absolutely love that. There's going to be a story where somebody says, I never I never watched any Star Wars, but I watched The Mandalorian. Right. Yeah. And then I it, it made me want to go back and rewatch all the other Star Wars. Absolutely. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you guys have anything else from this episode that uh, you want to touch on before we bounce out of here? Mm. I did think it was funny that I, I felt, you know, like the guy from Office Space, like I was told there was going to be Mandalorian in this Mandalorian show. Uh, it felt like this particular episode was like just Star Wars in general, yeah. which it's called Legacy, and the legacy of Star Wars is important to the Mandalorian. So I understand, like, kind of like how I was talking about Rick's episodes before. Like, this is a great episode, but it's weird because in the understanding that this is like the behind the scenes or the making of the Mandalorian, it seems a little just Star Wars in general. You're totally right. Um, I didn't even think about that. It is very just Star Wars. Yeah, there's almost nothing here that's like, and also here's how we built this thing. I mean, there <laughs> there's some stuff. I, I'll tell you this: one uh, scene that really stuck out to me was the was the um, the Deborah Chow stuff, which they were talking about how she had to uh, shoot this this scene, and it had to be 
kind of funny, but also kind of serious mm-hmm. uh, with the IG droid and, you know, bringing him back to life. And, um, and it was, uh, it was interesting to see that she was in a weird way. They, they had shot so many different versions of that because they didn't, they didn't feel like they were getting it right. And then right, they yeah. finally landed on the one and they're like, this is it. This is the way that needs to be told. And it's being cut in between these scenes and mm-hmm. stuff like Would that. Would you say this is the um, way? It was the way, you know, um, nice. and uh, and again, it, it was one of those things where it was like um, it highlighted the the team that was working on this. You know, one person was was caught in a situation where they were like, I don't think I'm getting it. It's not working. I'm not feeling it. I'm not nailing it on the first try. What's going on here? And they worked together. Right. And they were like, that's it. Now. Now we have it. That's it. And they were able to deliver um so uh yeah just it it paints uh deborah in a good light for kenobi and other projects in the future and i really like the team that was the mandalorian for this oh absolutely and you know i think this is a table setter you have the first one talking about the directors let the people get to know the directors the mm-hmm. second one is about the history mm-hmm. of star wars so we make sure everyone understands that we respect the history of it and i believe the next episode is going to be about the cast so maybe that's where we really start getting into um what went into uh, these characters and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Lacey, do you have anything else from this episode uh, that you want to uh, punch in here? There's just a lot. <laughs> um, not really. I think we talked a lot about everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it more was a baby great ep- Yoda. Yeah. Right. It, it was a great mm-hmm. episode, but really I think we hammered home the biggest part, which was uh, Filoni's presence. Just, overtook this episode and i think that's not a bad thing um because if you're talking about the legacy of star wars he he knows it uh better than anyone that was yeah you just like. get the sense that the series is building and i'm like okay where is it going from here so. yeah yeah right James. um i do have one more thing that i that i took James. away and it was the only thing that i wrote down what <laughs> go ahead i'm just joking <laughs> it's the only thing that i wrote down because i was like i want to be sure to mention that um it's because they were talking about uh, that scene that I was just describing, uh, and, the, and then they joked, oh, you killed him, and then you killed him. Oh, yes. After you, yeah. you worked to rehabilitate yes. him, and he has this arc, and you killed him, and then you killed both of them. Yeah. Both right. of these characters yeah, yeah, yeah. are dead, and it's a throwaway line, but I I think there's a lot of fans that would, uh, I don't want to say better fans, but like they, they almost need to hear this. Favreau throws away this line. He says, yeah, but if you don't kill him, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I remember I wrote, that line. Yeah. I wrote that down too, dude. Dude, it's... He said that's part of it. It's one of those things. Or it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. It's um, it's so important in a, in a movie. Um, there, there's this movie with Will Ferrell where, you know, he <laughs> is being told that he's going to die, yeah. right? Yeah. And throughout that movie, there's a another character that's saying you have to die, yeah, because you're gonna die anyway. You might as well have the meaningful death. It makes your life have a point. It's worth telling your story if you have this death versus the other death. Right. And when we watch these movies, we want these people to live long lives and die in their beds. You know, but if they don't die this way for this purpose, then it doesn't mean anything. Dude, Everything else before it doesn't mean anything. It's Harrison Ford saying Han Solo should die. It's uh, it's Luke Skywalker's death. It's Leia's death. It's Han Solo's death in the sequel trilogy. If they survived and then you just say, ah, oh, they 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 passed away peacefully at home. Yeah, it doesn't. It's ha- like yeah. it's it's the non sequel fan saying or the sequel non-fan, I guess you would say, saying they're just killing off all the heroes. Right. They're just killing off all the main characters. Right. But it's like, no, no, no. They're securing their legacy. Yes. Look at Han's death. Right. Look at Luke's death. Right. Look at Leia's death. And I'm like, it, it, it's, it, Favreau didn't even make those movies, but he understands those movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. It's taking control yeah. of their 
narrative and legacy so that it ends the way they want it to end and it doesn't yeah. just drag on yeah like luke and they skywalker. don't trip on a on their robe walking down the stairs exactly <laughs> luke skywalker saved the galaxy he didn't tumble down the stairs and crash into a pile of caretakers uh yeah, yeah. he had a bad batch of berries you know <laughs> it's yeah. like poisoned green milk takes he's out not, luke skywalker yeah he's not getting killed off screen he's doing it the way it it All right, so yeah, next week um, we are going to be talking about the third episode, which I believe is about the cast. Um, so that is it for this episode of the Mando Fan Show. Um, James, where can people find you on social media? Twitter and Instagram at Myra Trunks. Lacey? Twitter and Instagram at Lacey Gillerin. And remember, you guys can find the Mando Fan Show on YouTube, but also our podcast feed, so subscribe to us on uh, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and that's where you'll find the Resistance broadcast too. You'll find the both of us there on, um, the both of us, all three of us there on Monday <laughs> morning. Which both? New- Wait, hold on. <gasps> Which both? <laughs> Me and JJ Abrams. Oh, what a cop out. Um, <laughs> it's, look, it's early and it was late last Choose night. Choose your character. So. Uh, yeah, you'll see us on there on Monday morning. Uh, head to StarWarsNewsNet.com for all of your news and uh, information about Star Wars. And we hope you enjoyed the return of the Mando Fan Show. We hope you're digging the documentary. And uh, until next time on the Mando Fan Show, we'll see you around, kids.